The Last Word with Matt Cooper. Today FM. It all happens here. The author and critic Kevin Power joins us now to talk about Hilary Mantel, who died today at the age of 70, or who died yesterday, and it was announced today. Uh, an exceptionally popular writer and an exceptionally good one. Uh, tell us about her. I suppose thinking about Hilary Mantel today, when I, I saw the news on Twitter earlier on, the first thing that occurred to me was that as someone who writes novels or, or has tried to write novels in the past, um, the, the thing about Hilary Mantel was that you would read one of her novels and you would think, or even a page from one of her novels, and you would think, how did she do that? She really was one of the most extraordinarily gifted prose writers and extraordinarily gifted storytellers, someone who had this phenomenal command of the novel as a form. And other writers would read her work in a spirit of sort of awed admiration and, and envy. You know, it's, 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 you know, there's no point in denying it. She's someone who had that level of range, empathy, articulacy in her prose you would just look at what she did and think bloody hell i'll never be that good and uh, she <laughs> really she stood as a kind of benchmark i think for for, for any practicing novelist best known i presume for her booker prize winning wolf hall and its sequel which also won bring up the bodies and then the 2020 publication of the mirror and the light the end of the trilogy talk us through those books and why they resonated so much with people well, the, the first thing, the first reason they resonate is that their story superbly told. It, it's not always fashionable to say of a novelist that he or she is a, is a great storyteller, um, especially in more, you know, kind of highbrow literary circles. It's kind of looked down upon. But Mantel really could evoke in a few paragraphs another world, and in this in this case, the world of Thomas Cromwell's and Henry VIII's England. Um, yeah, she could bring you into the story with the smells, the material experience, the bodies what the world felt like. If you read even the first hundred pages of Wolf Hall, you, you, you come away with forever with it, with a sense of what that period in history might have been like. And she had an extraordinary ability to digest huge amounts of research and then in, in a sense kind of throw it away and, and, and imagine herself powerfully into those times and places and people. And that's one reason I think those novels resonated so extraordinarily. But the other reason is that they are about whether she, she would say she's not an English writer. She didn't think of herself as writing about national identities or national stories. But there's no way, I think, to avoid reading those books as as a rewriting of some of, of some English myths, um, engaging with history, uh, engaging with that particular period in history, um, and questions about monarchy and power and democracy. Um, they, they're books that address issues that are still uh, relevant today, in, in not just in England, but abroad. Yeah, but there, were there accusations then about not uh, adhering to perceived historical accuracy? Yeah, she always spoke very eloquently about the novelist's ability to... The, the novelist's authority is his or her imagination, finally. Um, and the history books are there, you know. If you want to go and get a strictly accurate historical accounting, why are you reading a novel in the first place? <laughs> you know, it's, what we go to novelists for is something else, is a kind of imaginative truth about about people and about experience. I think that's one of the things that made her historical novels so extraordinarily good. Let's hear a little bit of her delivering a lecture in 2017 when she had this to say about the purpose of writing. I trust if you won't mind if I filter my general thoughts through my own processes, because Thomas Cromwell does rather fill my horizon at present. Uh, and 
you see, I am dubious about right what you know, because I've always thought that in any type of fiction, you write to find out. Not even to settle on an answer, but to pose the most acute question. If everything yields to the eye at first glance, you'll bore yourself and the reader. Better have a puzzle, have a mystery, and don't count on solving it. Now, when I say a puzzle, I don't mean a puzzle as in a detective story. Uh, and I don't just mean a subject or theme that is intricate, but one that is complex, layered. I mean a puzzle that is human, and thus never solved, because you never arrive at perfect understanding, even of the people you live with, let alone those who are dead and gone. I suppose, Kevin Parr, that is another way of saying just she let her imagination run riot and allowed the reader then similarly to apply their own imagination. That's true. But I mean, Hilary Mantle had an imagination unlike anyone else's, I think, is what what makes her Hilary Mantle and and the rest of us are not. Uh, You know, I always think of a story she told in an interview where in 1998 she published a novel called The Giant O'Brien, which was based on a fictionalization of the life of a real person. Uh, Charles Byrne lived in Ireland in the 19th century and was famously eight feet tall. And she spoke about doing what she, I suppose you would call a creative visualization exercise to prepare for the writing of this book. And she imagined uh, an empty chair and then the idea is that you invite your character to enter and sit on the chair and then you begin to get to know them in a kind of safe way. Um, But she uh, invited the giant O'Brien to enter the room and sit in the chair and before uh, he sat he tested the weight of the chair and he tested the strength of the chair to make sure that it would bear his weight and she sat up and opened her eyes and and said Eureka I, I know how to write this novel and I understand the character but that kind of imaginative leap that she made and she makes it all the time into the strangest bodies and the strangest people and real people in history and in the present you know that that kind of imaginative empathy and, and, and attention to detail is remarkable it's one of her great achievements she did suffer ill health throughout her life as well didn't she Yes, she wrote eloquently and, and, and often about her experiences with endometriosis and also about the fact that it meant she wasn't able to have children. She wrote in a memoir called Giving Up the Ghost um, very powerfully about experiences of regret in, in later life. And she did what great writers do. It, it wasn't specific to her. She made it universal. She, made, you know, she has a wonderful line in one of her essays. When the doctor says, it's a boy, what happens to the girl? You know, which sums up so beautifully every you know our lives are uh, are limited and defined by a certain number of incidents and choices and events what about all the ghost lives that we do not live Uh, she she often wrote about that and she often wrote about literal ghosts one of her best novels is called beyond black it's about a a, a psychic who is haunted and 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 harried by the spirits of the dead who want her to communicate for her it's uh, it was it was a a theme that kind of obsessed her i see she gave a recent interview to financial times published only this month when she was asked if she believed in an afterlife and she said, yes, I can't imagine how it might work. However, the universe is not limited by what I can imagine. Well, that's it. Yeah, I, I, I mean, <laughs> it depends. If you have an imagination like Hilary Mantle's, you know, very little is limited, I think. 
there's been an enormous outpouring of uh, appreciation for her work and she seems to have been genuinely greatly not just respected and admired but liked by many of her peers and by readers and everything as well I also see she spent quite a bit of time recently in West Cork as well and she was planning apparently to take out Irish citizenship I didn't realise that she has a, quite a significant Irish background in her family that's right she grew up in in you know essentially a kind of Irish Catholic background um, in the UK and felt she always said effortlessly superior <laughs> to the Protestants around her because of it and after Brexit um, she looked very uh, seriously into the possibility of, of getting an Irish passport and moving to West Cork I don't know if uh, I haven't been able to find out if she was successful um, but it was certainly something she she did take seriously and, and as, as a, a long-standing critic of let's call them conservative or reactionary tendencies in, in British public life. I think Brexit was a was a shock and a disappointment to her and, and spurred her to return to this part of her identity that had come out in the 90s as she was writing The Giant O'Brien, this sense of Irishness, a sense of not being English. If somebody was listening to us and hadn't been aware of her work, where should they start? What would be the best place to start? I think I think you have to jump into Wolf Hall. It's a big book. Um, it's six, five or six hundred pages, but it is it's the best of Mantle um, for sure. I mean, my favorite of her novels is is Beyond Black, which came out in the uh, very early two thousands. Um, and it's just to give an idea of what kind of writing is in those novels. At the very beginning of Beyond Black, she describes an orbital road near the airport, and there are sheep in fields beside that road. They're fleece. Uh, clotted with the stench of aviation fuel. Uh, and I just say, that's, that's, what an incredible thing to notice. <laughs> Who notices such things? That's a great eye and a great mind. So that's the kind of writing you can find in, in Mantle's books. Thank you very much, Kevin Parr, for telling us all about Hilary Mantle, who unfortunately was announced today, died yesterday at the age of just 70. The Last Word with Matt Cooper. Weekdays from 4.30. Today FM.